And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Marini's Media. The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European Edition. Today, counting down to Champions League Round 3. Who's more in trouble, Real Madrid or Inter? What should Messi do now that he's an old fella? And can Bayern continue to KO the continent with De Classica around the corner? All that and more as we round up the big Euro stories from the Catalans to Atalanta to Jules's Marseille rubbish banter. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Powers. Hello, listener. Thanks so much for joining us. It's Tuesday, the 3rd of November this evening. Match day three of the Champions League gets underway. And right now, I'm talking to Alvaro Romeo. Hello, Alvaro. Hola. Hello, Julian Laurent's also with us. Bonjour, everyone. And James Horncastle. Hi. And of course, Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Yes, and this is Totally Football Show European Edition. We're all fired up for the midweek continental action. I bet you are too, listener. And we've also got loads to tell you about from the weekend. And let's begin with a little round of moments of the weekend, starting with Jules. My moments of the weekend, James, has to be Kylian Mbappé being uh, told off by the referees at halftime of the non-PSG game. They Why? called him into their office or their, their dressing room uh, because leaving the pitch at halftime, he moaned that... He said, uh, every year is the same. They come here, we've got a three-hour meeting and every time they lie to us because they didn't give it. He felt they sh- he should have had a penalty. They didn't give it to him. So he was really unhappy. So they, they, he was on a naughty step at halftime. They, they called him in and he had to go in on his own like a school. And then they told him off and then he left and he was much better in the second half than he was in the first half, by the way. Right. Will he score an actual Champions League goal this midweek? That's one of the big questions we'll be looking at later. Rafa, what's your moment of the weekend? It is Herbert Heiner, the Bayern chairman, withdrawing the offer of a contract extension to David Alaba, saying Bayern Ooh. have stopped negotiating and there's not going to be any more offers available. Why is that, Rafa? And who might leap in for him? Why is that? Because Bayern had set a deadline uh, at the end of October, which expired on Sunday or had expired by Sunday. And they went public with that, which was a little bit surprising timing wise. But um I think reflected their frustration with how things have, have not happened in the last few months. Mm. Alaba has been very coy, but a lot of indications suggest that he wants to go to Spain. And uh, the way things are in Spain at the moment, um, going there as a free agent next summer might be more feasible than um, you know commanding a big transfer fee 
this summer or even trying to maybe force a move through in January under Christian Eriksen conditions. Right. So some some people might feel that being your moment of the weekend implies it was a quiet weekend in the Bundesliga, but I don't agree. I think contract negotiations are every bit as exciting as goals and assists <laughs> and any of that crazy <laughs> ephemera. Uh, what about you, James? What have you got as a moment of the weekend? Well, I'll let someone else do the talking for me, James. Cristiano is back. This is the most important. Wow. Cristiano is back. Can it be, James? It is, James. He came back and scored not once, but twice um, as Juventus uh, beat uh, Spezia uh, 4-1 in Cesena. Cristiano does say that is the most important thing. I would say Sassuolo winning in Naples was even bigger and Zlatan Mm. being Zlatan as well. Just one of the many things that made this weekend in Serie A so exciting. Crikey, try and stop you telling us about that later on. And Alvaro, un momento de la fin de semana. El momento, el momento del fin de semana could have been Sevilla dropping to the 16th place in the table. They are terrible, Ooh. but it has to be Eden Hazard scoring a goal for Real Madrid a year and 25 days after he scored his last goal for Real Madrid. Um, it was a some sort of resuscitation for a player that had uh, six different types of injuries over the last year. He hasn't been able to play for Real Madrid uh, to his best level. And this is terrific news for Real Madrid ahead of the class against Inter Milan in this midweek. Well, Real Madrid Inter is coming up on Tuesday and we'll look at that next. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Well then, game of the round, arguably, comes on Tuesday as Real Madrid take on Inter at the picturesque Estadio Alfredo Di Stefano. The interesting thing about this group is that Real Madrid, Inter, Mönchengladbach and Shakhtar and their Shakhtar were kind of seen as the designated group victims. But then they went and won in Madrid and then they held Inter and they're off to an absolute flyer, meaning there's a real chance that the other three could end up fighting over one more qualifying spot, making this game and this head-to-head series of two matches between Real Madrid and Inter pretty huge. Alvaro, how much difference does Hazard coming back make to Real Madrid? I think this is a a crucial game for Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane today has said that uh, this is a final for them pretty much. I mean, uh, if they lose uh, their ambitions of qualifying for the next round, they're going to be um, definitely shattered. I think that uh, we shouldn't uh, think that uh, playing at Madrid is no longer uh, one of the most difficult tasks in football because Real Madrid lately at uh, Santiago Bernabeu or at home, which is the case now, uh, they haven't done well. In fact, they have uh, lost uh, six of the last 13 UEFA Champions League matches and at home they've been abysmal as well. Uh, And they have conceded already five goals in the Champions League. So for sure the result against Huesca was very good for them. They won for one, Eden Hazard scored, uh, which is uh, good news for Real Madrid because I believe that uh, he's going to play against Inter. In fact, he played only 60 minutes and when a player plays 60 minutes exactly normally, you tend to think that he has agreed with the manager beforehand that he was going to play only one hour. So 
I believe that uh, Real Madrid needs to win this game. It's fundamental for them. Uh, the game against Gladbach, they managed to get a point in the last second that gave them a lot of life in the Champions League. But uh, this is the moment for them to make a statement uh, in this group because otherwise it's going to be too late for them. Uh, the good news for them is that uh, they can play finally with that uh, tridente that... Uh, all Madridistas will think is the best possible with Asensio, with Hazard and with Benzema. And uh, that look at Vázquez, the only fullback or at least like a, a potential fullback uh, available, will be ready for the game because he, he was doubtful and today Zidane has said that uh, Lucas Vázquez could play. So that's going uh, to be important for them because otherwise... Uh, Carvajal, Odriozola, uh, all the fullbacks available they had on, re- on the right, they were out. Uh, Hazard coming into the side uh, this weekend against Huesca with Vinicius out. What's the situation now between Vinicius and, and Benzema after the, the rude words the Frenchman spoke about his teammate mid-game yeah, last time? I'm, I'm, sure that, uh, I'm sure that that is going to be fixed. And uh, Number one, because Real Madrid uh, locker room in general is quite a, an amicable one in which uh, you know there is a clear leader like Sergio Ramos and then Zinedine Zidane is a... He's a man of harmony as well, and I believe that he has been dealing with, uh, sometimes, uh, players who had a lot of ego, and uh, all of them seem to be very happy, and they're uh, playing under him, under him. So I don't think that this is going to be something that uh, will define uh, Karim Benzema or Vinicius uh, in any sort of way. I believe, however, that uh, Vinicius is going to play, or was always going to play, less uh, as soon as Eden Hazard was fit, because uh, we know that... Uh, Vinicius is not particularly uh, the favorite player of Zinedine uh, Zidane. He has been playing there because uh, he's been all right at times and because uh, there was no other available option. Uh, so, yeah, um, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that this weekend he, Vinicius didn't play. I think that this part of the rotations that Zidane has been doing for about three or four years now. So Real Madrid arriving fresh from a 4-1 victory and getting Eden Hazard back with a, a fine goal as well. Inter, meanwhile, arriving at this clash at the Val de Bebas in, in rather different circumstances, eh, James? Yeah, a little bit, James. I mean, they were disappointing um, at the weekend or got a disappointing result. Um, they fell 2-0 down uh, to Parma, as they did this time last year. Um, but Parma, without 10 players, um, due to a variety of reasons, uh, COVID-19, injuries, having to play a midfielder at right back, having to play a teenager at centre-back and going to San Siro. Inter did come back, but you know as has been the case uh, this season, they dominate games. Yeah, they control possession upwards of 60%. Um, they press well. They have, what, more than 20 shots a game. Their XG far outstrips that of their opponents. And yet, in one or two moments, they are vulnerable and they concede. Um, and that has been the story of their season so far. It's been really frustrating for Antonio Conte, who, you know, he's trying to change the emphasis, not only of his team, but I think of his, his entire coaching philosophy, which at the moment seems to be, you'll score three, we'll score four. Um, you know, that hasn't been who Conte is uh, for the last decade. You know, his Juventus teams were built on having the best defence. Um, yeah, that was the one thing that got the most headlines about them, um, you know, playing a back three, but at the same time, you know, having an attacking system as well. But now they seem to be, he seems to be more attacking than ever. Um, I suppose the issue going into this game is that Romelu Lukaku, who's been in such great form, 
you know, isn't flying to Madrid. Um, he was injured in the game against uh, Shakhtar whilst uh, taking a free kick, which struck the bar. And again, I mean, you look at their Champions League form, you know, they play two games, they've got two points. Um, and again, they probably think and are entitled to think that they deserve to be on maximum points um, because they dominated Gladbach um, in what was you know quite an even game, but ultimately Gladbach scored with only two shots on target, one of which was a penalty kick. Um, and then the Shakhtar game, you know, they hit the bar twice. Um, yeah, again, as I said, you know, they they try and have thirty shots a game. They did that in this one. Didn't didn't manage to put anyone, any of them, past the goalkeeper. Even though Trubin is not the uh, first choice Shakhtar keeper, Lautaro Mr. Sitter, and here they are going into this double header. Um, in a very precarious position. Mm. What do you think, Rafa? You saw them against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. You saw Real against Borussia Mönchengladbach. What's your take on this game? I mean, Real Madrid are the same Real Madrid we've seen over the last few years. As a team, you're not really convinced, but they still have amazing players who who can do stuff. I mean, Karim Benzema seems in great form. Scored against uh, Gladbach, scored against Huesca. Maybe not the more stringent of defences he's going to come up against this season, but still... Um, you have to you have to take your chances. So I think they struggle when you take the ball off them. Defensively, man against man, they're still they're still good. When it comes to sort of tactically defending as a team, it's a little bit clunky, and that's where I think some of the struggles in European football, and specifically, can can be explained because you you come up against sides who who want to monopolize the ball, and I think it'd be really really interesting. Having seen a lot of Inter and Real Madrid over the last couple of months, I would say Inter are clear favourites to win this game. But then Real Madrid have that still diminished, but nevertheless, there's still an X factor, maybe with a small X rather than a big one. Can we show some love to Javinho? My boy Javinho. Well, I mean, mm. the first goal especially was just sensational. <laughs> I mean, I know he can be hit and miss a lot, but he's had some... Mostly miss. This was Palmer's first goal uh, on the weekend against Inter. Uh, wow. ball over the top and he, he just volleys it straight in it's, it's a glorious goal it's Del Piero-esque if we're going to start throwing inside up. of his left foot it mm. was just fantastic I thought and you know it's a great great run is- as well because he initially makes a run and then basically goes nah it's not worth it looks completely disinterested and then when the ball is played he just turns on the afterburners and De Bruyne is like oh god he's behind me and it's a magnificent finish but um yeah, I mean, the irony, I suppose, James and, and Jules with Javinho this weekend was that Conte actually wanted him to come and play for Inter, be a backup striker for Lukaku, Lukaku, who was out for that game. And what should happen? Javinho ends up scoring both goals for Parma. Yeah. There is something about uh, Real Madrid. And going back to what Rafael was saying before, uh, without the ball, they, they seem to, to collapse and melt off a little bit. And there was this debate last week in Spain, especially... After um, the Spanish teams didn't do particularly well in the in the Champions League first round, uh, if the Spanish football was outdated or not uh, when it comes to the European stage, and uh, I wouldn't say that at all. But for example, the other day against uh, Borussia in Germany, you could see that Real Madrid couldn't handle a player like Turam sometimes uh, when a Borussia player was going forward. Um, sometimes the Real Madrid players just couldn't uh, catch him or just couldn't tackle him properly and I believe that uh, there is a certain physicality in football that is uh, affecting those teams that uh, they have gotten a little bit old uh, just because they they couldn't get rid of some glorious players that uh, 
you couldn't get rid of so easily. Uh, the likes of Luka Modric, for example, of to or Tony Cross or Sergio Ramos. I mean, they, they've been amazing and it's very difficult to get rid of them. But sometimes in some, some games, you, you notice that they you know, that they, they are in the final third of, of their career, to put it some sort of way. And, uh, and yeah, um, I think that Inter can have that physicality too, um, but Real Madrid has quality in the squad, that's for sure. And my only question here is, what is the level of ambition that Real Madrid is going to show going forward? Because if they don't balance very well their ambition uh, with their defense, they may be out of the Champions League by the early November which has never happened before. Extraordinary. Uh, Real Madrid, who can't get rid of some of their old glories, into the team that old glories go to when clubs do get rid of them. Would, would that be fair, James? They wanted <laughs> Gervinho, they've got Kolarov, they've got Sanchez, they've got Ericsson. <laughs> Not entirely fair. I mean, they did sign Hakimi for €40 million. Euros. Right, they've got right. Alessandro Bastoni and... I would say arguably their best player this season has been Nicolo Barella, who's been uh, outstanding since the the restart. But um, yeah, I mean, particularly the two guys that Conte wanted um, in the off-season, Kolarov and, and Vidal, have not been great. Um, they've both given penalties away. Um, you know, Kolarov against uh, Milan in the derby, Vidal um, in the game against Gladbach. And, you know, they both were involved in that second goal that Gladbach scored where Kolarov goes flying forward as the left centre-back and Vidal's like, oh God, there's no one behind me. He goes and plays left centre-back and gets caught out by that. I mean, we keep coming back to it, James, the Kakar pass for Crespo um, in, uh, in in that game. So, Neuhaus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of them uh, doing uh, great, I would say, or bringing the experience that Conte wanted. I'm just a little surprised that Rafa feels that uh, Inter are the favourites in, in this game. Their record in crunch matches, not great. I mean, in the Champions League in general, two wins in the last 12 games in this in this tournament. Jules, what's your take? I just think Inter without Lukaku, you know, it's, it's not the same at all. I don't know who Conte will go to replace him. He obviously tried... Um, to have Perisic up front on, at the weekend, didn't think he, he, he worked. Then you've got Pinamonti, Esposito, they're young players, but maybe Pinamonti is the one that looks the most like Lukaku in the way he plays. Do you throw him in a game like this? Do you play a bit more defensive? Even if you get a draw, maybe it's not a bad result. I, I just think everything he based so much on Lukaku in that team that when he's not there, suddenly... like I'm not sure they even know how to play anymore. You know, So it's, it's very difficult that he's not there. He keeps confusing things, I suppose, Conte. I mean, you mentioned Pinamonti, you know, who I remember Jules raving about when he uh, he was playing Europa League for Inter a few years ago, made his debut in that competition, looked looked special. Um, and instead of playing him, he's a natural centre-forward next to Lautaro. Um, at the weekend, he played Perisic um, as his second striker. Perisic did end up getting the stoppage time equaliser, but again, doesn't look an entirely good fit up front for them um, there. I think yeah, the reason why Rafa's confident in Inter is because um, they dominate games. They create loads and loads of chances. Um, you know, I mean, even even last year, for example, in the Champions League, they went away to Barcelona, played superb for an hour, um, got in front of that game. Did they win? Um, no, but the, the reason why they didn't win, James, was, as Conte put it, um, he didn't feel they had a deep enough squad at the time, right? Particularly in in midfield. Mm. Uh, that came away at Borussia Dortmund when they dominated that one. Did they win that one? 
No, but I think ultimately, again, that was that was the the scene of his uh, famous rant about mm. basically them signing players from Cagliari and Sassuolo um, for him, which kind of ignored the fact that they'd gone and spent um, what upwards of seventy million for Lukaku on him from Manchester United. Um, yeah, they've since gone out and got Vidal from Barcelona, who is his you know, sort of essentially his best man. Uh, loves him, said he would go to war for him. You know, and I think the thing is, I mean, you go back to the first game of this season when they were, what, they were trailing Fiorentina on opening night and he ends up being able to send on Vidal, Nyingalan, Hakimi, uh, Sanchez, Stefano Sensi. That's the bench that he didn't have last year. In the last month, you know, for a variety of reasons, COVID-19, which decimated his squad, six, six players basically got taken out of it. He's he's had to play Kolarov as a left centre back um, because Bastoni and um, Ashley Young and Skriniar have all had COVID um, down that side. Hakimi tests positive in a UEFA test um, the day of the game against Gladbach. Hakimi's been such a big player for them, uh, which rules him out. He then has a test in Italy with Inter the following day. He tests negative. Um, all of those things have disrupted them so far. So. You know, as much as Conte's record in Europe gets pointed out, you know, he did reach a final last year, let's not forget, and lost mm. lost to Sevilla. It is a good team. All um, right. We'll, so. we'll see on Tuesday. We'll, we'll see on Tuesday evening. Uh, in that same group, Shakhtar, of course, leading on four points, two points clear of uh, both Borussia Mönchengladbach and Inter and three clear of Real Madrid. For their next trick, Shakhtar will be attempting to do Borussia Mönchengladbach. We'll talk about that and other things next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Rafa, glad back. Big game for them away in the Ukraine on Tuesday against group-leading Shakhtar Donetsk. Gladback coming into this, having beaten Leipzig 1-0 at the weekend. Among the surprises of this game, Nagelsmann wearing a very tasteful kind of and youthful hoodie as well. It was nice, his, his get up on the sideline. Relatively easy on the eye, yes. Yeah. Anyway, it was their first ever win, Gladbach over Leipzig. Yes, I mean, Leipzig haven't been in the Bundesliga all that long, but of course, uh, beating them these days is is not that easy, even though Manchester United made it look very easy in the, in the Champions League last week. Um, so it was a big, big win for for Gladbach, especially after expending so much energy against uh, Real Madrid. Uh, Marcus Tiram uh, didn't start that game, so they had to mix it up a little bit. But they still found enough to beat this Leipzig side. And Gladbach are the real deal. I don't think they can challenge Bayern and Dortmund for the title, but you know, for a team that still is is miles behind in terms of the wages or the money they can spend on players. To be so consistent uh, in a season when they have to play Champions League at the same time is is already hugely impressive in my book. Mm. Okay, they're lying fifth right now. Uh, Leipzig, who were on top of the Bundesliga, have now slipped to third, two points behind the joint leaders Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, which is interesting that those two are joint top because they're facing each other next weekend, Rafa. 
Yes, and the big question is, can Lucien Favre and Dortmund finally win one of those big games? Uh, they didn't do it in May when it really mattered, um, when they could have won the league potentially. They didn't do it in the Super Cup when it mattered less, but still would have been a big symbolic triumph. And of course, they were heavily beaten uh, in Munich the last couple of times as well uh, in, in the seasons gone by. So this will be seen as, a, as another big test. Um, I think the situation for Favre himself is probably beyond repair. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure he can see out um, the season with the realistic hope of getting another year or two um, in his contract. But still, Dortmund still have a chance of, of doing something special but for that they will have to beat Bayern because this Bayern team don't drop many points so you'll have to do it and I think a lot of neutrals are hoping that they can finally get one of those big big results mm. okay that's coming up at the weekend before that Dortmund are in action Wednesday in the Champions League Tuesday sees Bayern looking to make it 14 straight victories in this competition they'll be away at Rebel Salzburg while in that group Locomotive take on Atletico. How are Atletico doing, Alvaro? They are doing better. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, Atletico is still mm, like a finished product exactly, but they, they are doing a good job. And uh, this weekend they managed to win uh, to beat Osasuna 3-1. So they are third now with 14 points in La Liga. Generally speaking, uh, there is the sense that this team can still grow. Joao Felix scored the brace and he's becoming uh, the player that we all knew he was, but... Uh, Unfortunately, last season he didn't get to that point. Uh, he didn't flourish as much. And yeah, um, it's funny because uh, they are supposed to be very good defensively, but curiously, uh, they are the team with the best scoring ratio in La Liga just after Real Sociedad. Uh, they have scored 13 goals in six games, but uh, I don't think that they are that prolific going forward. I think that they are basically bullying their opponents when they have a favorable scoreline because they haven't scored in two games in La Liga. They didn't score against Bayern either. And then, for example, they did uh, score six against Granada. They have scored uh, three goals in the stoppage time in La Liga this season. So, you know, they can produce really good things and they can uh, be very good going forward. But once they break the deadlock. Uh, so that is the, I would say, the, the, the thing that Atletico Madrid um, is looking looking to do better. Like uh, manage to, to make it better in the first half, to open the scoreline sooner, uh, just to have less stress during the game. All that said, Look, the situation has been a little bit, uh, mm, I would say, strengthened. Straightened. It looked uh, worse when they lost against Bayern 4-0. Then uh, they beat Salzburg 3-2 in a very complicated game. And this time against Locomotive, uh, I think that they shouldn't have a problem to get the three points. And having six out of nine, you know, you look at life uh, with a better perspective. You sure do. Is that four goals in two games now for João Felix? And if so, what's behind that? Has Diego Simeone tweaked things for him or is it the arrival of Suarez alongside him up front? Or what, 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 what's, what's the key? I think the key here with uh, Joe Felix is that he feels uh, important. I mean, it, it doesn't matter so much who he's playing with, but uh, it matters the fact that he's taking uh, certain responsibilities that he didn't always take like, last season. For example, against Osasuna the other day, he was all, the focal point all the time. And against uh, Salzburg as well in the Champions League, uh, he moves between the lines uh, behind the striker. He's got certain freedom. Uh, Simeone normally is not a, a friend of giving a lot of freedom to players, but uh, with Joe Felix, I think that he had to, you know, change his principles a little bit because he knows that Joe Felix uh, needs to 
you know, uh, move uh, in certain places, go to the left, to the right. And I think that that's the key. The fact that Joe Felix feels more important because he's got that freedom and uh, therefore he he's just uh, blossoming. Uh, at the same time, last, last season, it was a season of adaptation to the league. And uh, we have seen that with uh, players like Diego Costa, for example, even in his first season at Atletico de Madrid or Antoine Griezmann, uh, the first months weren't easy for them. But then after a while, they got used to Simeone's system and they became the most important players of the team. Brilliant. All right. Well, that's coming up on Tuesday, as I say. I'd like to go away in Russia while Bayern visit Salzburg. Also on Tuesday, Liverpool have an exciting trip to Bergamo. That is up next. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. Wow, Group D has already given us one of the games of the group stage. Last week's uh, 2-2 draw between Atlanta and Ajax in Bergamo. Tuesday, it's the turn of Liverpool to visit the Bergamaschi. Liverpool, of course, currently leading the group two points ahead of Atlanta with Ajax on a single point and Midtjylland, the other team in the group, on nothing at all. James, what are the prospects of Atalanta and their slightly rocky defence stopping Liverpool on Tuesday? Well, I mean, this is Atlanta's best ever start to a season. Uh, four wins in six um, in Serie A. Uh, they beat Crotone at the weekend. It was quite an attritional win uh, for them because they lost players. Um, you know, Martin Darun was already out. Um, he's like a captain for them, even though Papu Gomez wears the armband. Uh, Robin Gosens as well, who was one of the most prolific defenders last year uh, from his wing-back position. He won't play. Uh, Gasparini's just... Given an update on that, um, and they're going to have late fitness tests for the likes of Romero, Toloi, Hatibor as well, all of whom went off in that game. So, in, curious to see in what state Atalanta present themselves, but yeah, you know, certainly they are confident that they can score on anyone. I mean, you know, just as they're uh, carrying a few injuries, uh, we all know about Liverpool's um, as well. Although um, Liverpool are the only team in the Champions League yet to concede a goal, curiously. Yeah. Curiously, we'll have to see whether that withstands the mm. uh, the the Atalanta onslaught. But uh, Klopp has, has just been saying that you know this game fascinates him more than uh, the Ajax one. Um, you know that uh, he enjoys watching Atalanta. I'm sure he's just um, showering them with praise of playing to the gallery. But he says he reminds they, they remind him a bit of Leeds, um, and uh, and that was a cracking game um, between Leeds and uh, and Liverpool earlier in the season. So uh, if we get anything like that. Brilliant. Yeah, that game finished 4-3. The, the thing for Liverpool is they obviously Nathaniel Phillips who made his debut and you know the former Stuttgart Loney at the weekend which was I think a big surprise to a lot of people. He's not eligible to play in the Champions League because he was not 
registered. So you almost go back to square one after the Fabinho injury. You know, what do you do? Can Matip play anything? Do you have to go to Rhys Williams? Who obviously you clearly... It's not that you didn't trust him, but he, he could have played at the weekend to, to get a bit of game time before the Champions League game. You didn't play him. You chose Phillips, who you knew could not play in the Champions League. I find that whole fascinating story on who is he going to play, how are they going to play against Atalanta as well. The, the last team you want to have uncertainties in your defence is before a game against Atalanta. So I just think this, mm. is, this is brilliant. Liverpool who used to have a terrible record uh, away uh, from home in the Champions League. They've actually won their last three. Klopp, though, has never won a game in Italy. Uh, three matches in charge of Liverpool and two previously with Borussia Dortmund. And he's lost all five of them. Interesting stuff. The other game in that group, meanwhile, sees Ajax are taking on Midtjylland, uh, or at least we hope it does, because there's some really worrying news about the Dutch champions uh, coming into Tuesday's action. Yeah, only 17 players um, will will travel to Denmark um, uh, from the Ajax side. Um, it seems that they have been depleted. Um, uh, I imagine uh, we'll have to get confirmation of this, but um, obviously players subjected to COVID tests before um, they they travel. Um, so again, I'd say question marks raised about um, the... Uh, the sporting integrity, the competitive balance of this competition during a pandemic when uh, more or less all of Europe is locking down and yet football continues. Indeed. Ajax did manage a 5-2 win over Fortuna Sittard at the weekend. Um, I also believe there was a Real Madrid player tested positive. Has there been any update on that, Alvaro? Yes, it's been Eder Militao. Um, the news leaked uh, on Sunday evening that one Real Madrid player was had tested positive and uh, you know, at the end, uh, it was a Militao. Unfortunately for him, he won't be playing against Inter. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I will have to get used to it, really, because it's happening. But no uh, sign throughout. of it spreading. Often there's one and then the next day you get a whole bunch more, but no sign of it spreading yet. No, no, no. There, there hasn't been any anything like that so far. And uh, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, this is not going to um, spread around the Real Madrid squad. Elsewhere on Tuesday, uh, over in Group C... Uh, leaders Man City hosting Olympiacos. City currently two wins from two in the group stage, scored six, conceded one. The other match, meanwhile, sees Porto taking on Marseille. Marseille, who are currently on track to match their incredible record from their last appearance in the group stage, Ajules, when they had no points, no goals. <laughs> Indeed, they're just one defeat away from the all-time record by Anderlecht of 12 consecutive losses in the Champions League. They're on 11, obviously, which would be very special if they can uh, equal the records. It's obviously a very special game for for AVB and you know for Villas-Boas to go mm. back to Porto, where that club played such a huge part in his, not just in his managerial career, but I think in his whole education, his whole life, really. There's no doubt he will go back there one day. He's still a socio at the club. He pays his... Um, I don't know how you say in English, his registration fees. Mm -hmm. He pays his fees every month. Uh, and I think he owes a lot to the club. So even without fans or not many fans, it would be a very special return for him. Uh, but he can't, he can't not think about the importance of that game for Marseille. Didn't play at this, the weekend because the game against Lens was postponed because Lens had 11 players out uh, because of the COVID. Mm. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing for Marseille, but certainly they have to show more than against Olympiacos and Man City where they were really too cautious, too defensive, too average. And this is a huge game for them if they just want to keep a little bit of hope to either qualify and finishing second or finishing third and going to Europa League. Okay. Uh, was, was 
Uh, Andre Villas-Boas in quite feisty mood after the Man City game. I saw this press conference where he was saying, oh, yeah, sure, if you had Pep, but instead you've got Andre Villas-Boas with his tactics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, I don't think it's a good thing when you start talking about yourself in the third person. I think there's something wrong in there like he did. Uh, and two, when you start being so sarcastic that you actually take the mickey of your own self, which I think, again, is not very good. I don't know why, I don't know why he came out with that line. There was nothing... Offensive about the question, for sure. What was we the question? We were just questioning a little bit some of his tactics. Remember the week before he said to us in his press conference, I've had enough of your questions about tactics. You always mm. ask about tactics. And we were like, well, you're the coach. You know, your tactic is not working. You're not, you're not actually doing that great <laughs> this season. So that's why we're asking. And then again after City. So we'll see, we'll see how he is tomorrow in his press conference. Again, I think emotionally it's a very important game for him. So it might be a bit different. But it looks like he's losing his, his nerves at time. And it's not good. And certainly we haven't been used to that from him since he moved to France. Jules, do you participate in the press conference there in Marseille, but from London, your base? For some of them, yeah. You've got Zoom access, yeah. All right. Yeah. Modern. Nice. Situation in that group, Man City on six points, Porto and Olympiacos both on three, Marseille nil point. Very good. If you thought Tuesday's lineup sounded exciting, wait till you hear about what's coming up on Wednesday, which we'll be talking about after this. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Было довольно сильным ударом. Но опять-таки Шевченко шел, молодец. Феррер ошибся и Ребров с 30 метров пустые ворота отправляет мяч в четвертый раз. 23 years ago this very week Dinamo Kiev went to the camp now in the group stage of the Champions League and won 4-0, 4-0 against a Barcelona team featuring the likes of Rivaldo and Figo and managed by Luis van Gaal. Kiev of course though they had Lobanovsky on the bench and most importantly they had Rebrov and Shevchenko on the field. Sheva with a hat-trick Rebrov getting the other one, 4-0. Does that game live on in infamy in Catalonia, Alvaro? Of course it does. I remember it so well as well. Um, because, you know, it was the beginning of uh, Luis Van Gaal's era as a Barcelona manager after Bobby Robson. And the expectations were very high as well because uh, the season before, Barcelona had won the Cup Winners' Cup and uh, they had lost Ronaldo that summer. But at the same time, they signed uh, Sonny Anderson. They had Rivaldo, Figo, as you said. 
and yeah, uh, Shevchenko, Rebrov and uh, company, they just, uh, um, you know, uh, they were like a, a strong wind, a typhoon at the Camp Nou, mm. and uh, they, they managed to get a victory that w will reverberate uh, in history. Uh, and I believe that... Uh, That, yeah, that, uh, that game marked Louis van Gaal forever as a Barcelona manager. It didn't matter so much that he won uh, the double in one of his seasons and the league um, in 1999. I think that uh, not having done well in Champions League, not going through the group stage in that year uh, was uh, something that he couldn't recover from. Well, guess who's arriving this Wednesday at the camp now? Yes, it's Dinamo Kiev. And you know what? They're going to find a Barcelona side that's had an even worse start to the season this time under Ronald Koeman than they did under Louis van Gaal. In fact, they've never had a worse start to a Liga campaign, at least since the introduction of three points. The latest setback coming this weekend when they drew 1-1 with Alaves. Alaves taking the lead thanks to some comedy defending. Uh, a bit of a mix-up between Gerard Piquet and Neto. Yes, I think that Neto was... Um was not right when he just then ran towards Gerard Piquet uh, in that action. But anyway, uh, let's put the mistake under the belt of both. I think that uh, there is no trust on Neto as a goalkeeper. The good thing for, for Barcelona is that Ter Stegen is ready. Uh, I don't know if to play this uh, against Dinamo Kiev because he started, uh, he resumed training this week, but he will be ready definitely for the next weekend. And okay. yeah, uh, we have to say that Barcelona goes good against Alaves. Uh, they shot nine times on target. Uh, then uh, I believe that they, they attack and they produce uh, some certain good football, similar to what they did against Juventus, but they just couldn't score. And uh, I said this before, but I believe that uh, Barcelona is missing a number nine because Martin Bradwaite is not qualified uh, to be Barcelona's number nine. And uh, you need somebody in the box. I mean, they've got great attackers. Uh, Lionel Messi is not Uh, having a good season when it comes to his scoring uh, records, and I will tell you about that later. But yeah, Luis Suarez, even though he was not probably the best striker for Barcelona over the last couple of years, because uh, his numbers weren't as good as they were in 2015-2016, a player of that profile, the Luis Suarez profile, is going to be missed this season. That's why they wanted to sign a player like Lautaro, because they don't have a qualified number nine for a team of this quality. Mm, Lautaro is banging them in right now. For Lautaro <laughs> <laughs> well, has been maybe, terrible. Maybe he's sad because he doesn't play for, play for Barcelona. Perhaps. But uh, let me mm. tell you something, James, and I'll be very mm -hmm. quick about uh, Lionel go, Messi's go. numbers. Because, yeah, you know, sometimes Messi uh, has been um, capable of scoring more goals than any other number nine in the history of football. Well, uh, in 2019, he scored 46 goals in 54 games. Mm. And in 2020... He has scored only 20 goals in 36 games. But wow. after the resumption, only 11 goals in 23 games and six of them from the penalty spot. So, you know, uh, there is obviously uh, an accuracy crisis in there. Uh, he is not uh, in front of the goalkeeper as accurate as he was before. Uh, maybe he needs that spark, that tenth of second, uh, just to get to the ball before the defender. And yeah, Barcelona is uh, missing those goals from Lionel Messi. And still yet to score from open play this season. Yeah. Maybe he needs to understand that he can't do the things that he used to do 10 years ago, five years ago, even two years ago, which I think is... We all do, in, Jules. No, no, exactly. But in an evolution of a, of a football player, it's normal. Cristiano is not the same. Ibra is not the same. Don't, they don't do Cristiano the same thing before. Cristiano is back, Julian. 
Cristiano is back. <laughs> Ibra scored from open play this weekend. Yeah, yeah, but no, in the sense that they don't play the same way as they did two years ago, five years ago. They don't try right. to do the same thing. Messi is still trying to play like he was 15 years ago. And right. I think there's a point where he just can't do exactly the same thing that he used to do before. It's normal. He's older. He's not as quick as he was. The rest of the team around him is not as strong as he was either. And I think maybe it's it's good time for him to to look into it and say, do you know what? Let's let's do something a bit different than, than always trying to save the world every time because it's, it's just not working anymore. That, that's why that's why I think that uh, it's very very important for him to play uh, alongside quick players who can understand his passes. Uh, because right now, Lionel Messi, the older he gets, the farther away he's getting from the box. He's becoming more of a midfielder. So obviously his uh, scoring numbers, uh, they're going to be uh, affected as soon as he, he was going to get older. But the remarkable thing here is how radical uh, the drops in the number have been. I mean, uh, he's got a 0.21% of a scoring ratio since the restart of football from open play. That is something that never happened in his career. Wow. And it has happened suddenly. There hasn't been any a slow transition to this. Mm. Well, he will be facing a severely weakened Dynamo Kiev side. They are another team affected by a rash of uh, positive results for COVID-19 ahead of this game. Uh, Barcelona currently lying 12th, by the way, in the Liga, eight points behind Real Madrid with a game in hand. Top of La Liga, a Real Sociedad. Quick mention for them, uh, their last four games, a 3-0 win, another 3-0 win, a 4-1 win, and then another 4-1 win this weekend against Celta Vigo. Woof. Uh, featuring David Silva's first La Liga goal since May the 4th, 2010. He scored the header, uh, which is something that David Silva doesn't do very often, but even though in a European Cup final, he did score a header against Italy too, with Spain, I remember that. But anyway, uh, the most important thing with Real Sociedad is that there is uh, a belief from the manager that what they are doing is the right thing. Because after losing against Napoli on Thursday, mm. he said that uh, they played exactly the way he wanted his team to play, despite the defeat. And uh, then, three days later, they managed to get to win at Celta's ground 4-1 with uh, two goals from William Jose, Oyarzabal also scoring. And then there is another player up there, up front. Uh, I think I don't talk enough about him because we never have the time, but Porto uh, has been one of the most astute signings by Real Sociedad over the last years because his uh, industrious work up front is helping Real Sociedad a lot and he's giving plenty of assists as well. Mm. Excellent. Whether they are top of the league. Of course, the team that we were talking about at the start of the season as being one that might potentially disrupt the big three in La Liga was Sevilla. And they're instead all the way down in 16th place. Uh, Sevilla, of course, in, in Chelsea's Champions League group. Uh, this weekend, they lost to Bilbao, Athletic Bilbao, your team, we, Alvaro. We beat them, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I was watching the first half and uh, I was wondering why I... I didn't choose to do anything else on Saturday afternoon because the first half uh, was really bad by both teams. And mm. Athletic de Bilbao was also like uh, presenting a very physical game. Sevilla was accepting the challenge. In fact, the game ended up with 10 yellow cards. Uh, and they scored first. And Siri scored the first goal. And then Iker Muniain uh, changed the game. Thanks to him, uh, Athletic de Bilbao managed to come back. And yes, Sevilla uh, has collected only one point out of 12 
uh, which is the worst running the league under Lopetegui. And what surprises more here about the defeat at Bilbao is not uh, the fact that Sevilla was not competitive. It's the fact that Julian Lopetegui's team, uh, they went for the game. I mean, Lopetegui couldn't have put a better lineup than the one he did. And still, they weren't capable of producing chances. Again, the main problem of Sevilla is going forward. Uh, if Ocampos is not inspired, then it takes the matches to create a proper chance. And uh, you could see that as well in Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Sevilla currently tied with Chelsea on four points in that group with Krasnodar, where um, Sevilla will be playing this midweek. Uh, with one point alongside Ren. Lopetegui getting bullied on the sideline, meanwhile, by uh, Bilbao's Raul Garcia. Yes, I mean, he, he is one of these players that, uh, you know, I don't think that any other player in La Liga uh, lives more comfortably in the border between the yellow card and the red card. Wow. I mean, he, he knows how to, how to stay on the pitch with the yellow card and still grind the gears of uh, some other opponents as well, even the rivals, uh, you know, the opponent's manager too. So just tell us briefly what happened here for anyone who missed it. Yeah, basically, uh, he got a little bit of a spat with uh, Sevilla manager Julian Lopetegui. Then in the touchline, uh, they were kind of uh, arguing. And uh, at some point, Julian Lopetegui uh, gives him his hand just to, you know, to have a shake on that and to forget about it. And Raul Garcia basically takes his hand and he pulls it really strongly. And uh, Lopetegui couldn't believe what was happening. All right, well, returning to Barcelona's group, the other game there on Wednesday will see Hungarian champions Ferenc Varos taking on Juventus, who got a win this weekend. Cristiano returning and scoring twice coming off the bench in what was Andrea Pirlo's first away victory as a manager. James? Yeah, not the most arduous, uh, James, I must say. Um, They were coming up against the Spezia side, which were... Promoted beyond all expectation, um, first time in Serie A, even though they do have a national title, or the uh, the Vigili di Fuoco, the Fireman of Spezia, have a national title uh, from what, just after or during the war years, I forget. Um, during the war but, years, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Spezia came back in this game after um, Juventus went in front. Uh, Morata had another goal disallowed, that six goals disallowed this season um, already after that hat-trick uh, against Barcelona. And uh, yeah, ultimately the difference is Cristiano comes on and what, three minutes later, um, scores. Um, I think Morata has been magnificent for for Juventus since he, he rejoined the club. Um you know, every performance that he's put in, he's shown himself to be a complete number nine. Um, scores different kinds of goals, but, you know, particularly the chances that he, he creates, how well he plays that that position, um, you know, sort of linking the play back to goal, putting his teammates through on goal. He's been really, really good. But obviously when Cristiano uh, comes back, um, instantly uh, seizes uh, the the initiative in this game, took it by the scruff of the neck, and they didn't look like losing from from that point in, even though Buffon, who was standing in for Wojciech Szczesny, needed to make a uh, pretty good save uh, from a header from a corner kick. But a bit of a new look, I'd say, to this Juventus side, uh, in that they played McKenney instead of Ramsey or Kulusevski uh, behind the two strikers, which mm. initially was Morata and, uh, and uh, Dybala. Um, you know, McKenney very good at kind of winning the ball back, um, was involved in, in the first goal um, as well. And um, yeah, so just, just I think balances the team maybe a little bit better, or at least that was 
the impression from you know, this 70-minute performance that he uh, he put in um, because Juventus have looked very flimsy in midfield, um, you know, particularly with you know Artur and and Bentancur or whoever it is in there. They've been played through too easily. So adding someone else who is you know more you know sort of more physically imposing um, midfielder over Kulusevski or, or Ramsey, I think um, was was pretty interesting. But we'll we'll have to see what they. They come up within uh, in midweek in Europe as well. That you know, right. all is not lost for them in Europe, despite that defeat to Barcelona. Indeed, uh, they are four points. Meanwhile, in Serie A, four points off the top, with Milan currently in first place on a twenty-four game unbeaten run in all competitions. They won once again in the Europa League last Thursday, and this weekend they had a two-one win over uh, Udinese with a uh, fresh-faced young Ibrahimovic scoring the winner with. <laughs> Seven minutes ago, that's seven in four league matches for him this season. He's incredible. He is top scorer uh, in the league. I think top scorer in Serie A since the restart um, as well. And he scored in each of his last six Serie A games. The last player to do that uh, was Latan. Last player before him to do it was Andrew Shevchenko. And mm. you know, I wrote about it at the weekend. You know how within Milan. Um, what they really value about Zlatan is not only uh, the goals, but um, you know how he has kind of lifted everyone around him. Um, and all of a sudden, the young players, uh, remember Milan, the youngest side in Europe, uh, certainly in the top five leagues, um, they've all flourished um, with him in the side because he just takes the pressure off them. You know, they know that they've always got a chance when he's in the team. Uh, and uh, he is... An outstanding competitor, and you know, I think that has made everybody better. Um, but it's like so... the Mighty Ducks. But sorry, you finished what you were going to say. <laughs> no, no, go. No, no, no I, I love the say, Mighty Ducks comparison. It's like the Mighty Ducks in that if if Emilio Estevez actually suited up for the Ducks and took, he's essentially in that role. You've got these fresh-faced kids, and then Ibra is the wise old man, and bringing this rag bag together to defeat all comers. What's their average age then if they're the youngest team in Europe but they've got a 39-year-old in their ranks? He was 25 years old, 25.6 month old with a 39-year-old in the team. Incredible. So significantly lower than that without Ibra. Incredible stuff from uh, Milan. Are they going to win the title, James? <laughs> it's still too early to tell, I think. I mean, they've got great momentum uh, behind them. Um, they beat Inter in the, in the derby for the first time uh, in nearly five years um, as well. Uh, Zlatan certainly believes, but um, yeah, let's see. I, I, you know, let's not forget that Milan haven't been in the Champions League since uh, the end of the Allegri era when Clarence Seedorf took charge of those two games against Atletico Madrid. So that's six, six seasons ago. So certainly the objective going into this season was to, to get back into that competition. A quick mention for the team in second place in Serie A, who are not Juve, not Napoli, not Inter, not Roma, but Sassuolo. Outstanding, James. Um, best ever start to the season, better even uh, than the year in which they got into Europe under Eusebio Di Francesco. Um, and I suppose the, the surprise uh, is that they, they go to Naples um, to play Napoli, who have been one of the, the best teams um, so far this season. They were unbeaten, unless you count that uh, 3-0 defeat that was awarded against them uh, and given to Juventus uh, for them not showing up uh, for that game before, what, the last international break. Um, 
and Sassuolo didn't have um, Domenico Berardi, their captain. Um, didn't have uh, Francesco Caputo, um, who with Immobile was the uh, top scoring Italian last year and certainly has been one of the most prolific players since the restart. Um, and yet they, they managed to win 2-0. And I think what was impressive about it is that you know, this is a team that likes to play with a high line, likes to press, um, takes lots of shots, scores lots of goals. And yet in this game, they, they ground out the win um, and uh, they defended really well. Um, even though they had to ride their look at, luck at times, you had uh, Ossiman missing a, a, a big chance early on. You had Mertens missing a chance at the start of the second half. Um, but they really held their nerve. And um, yeah, impressive from the Nero Verdi. And yet another reason uh, why Roberto Di Zerbi, their coach, is, is regarded, I wouldn't say there's the next big thing, but he's already established himself as, as, as one of the best Italian coaches. Lovely stuff, James. All right. If you're feeling like you're missing a bit of Paris Saint-Germain chat, fear not, listener. That's up next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Wednesday also sees Group H in action, the group which features Man United, currently leading the way with six points, but also RB Leipzig and PSG, who are tied behind Ole Gunnar side and Basaksehir, here, the Turkish champions. One of RB Leipzig and Paris Saint-Germain, as it stands, won't be making it out of the group. You recall that not more than a couple of months ago, these two were contesting a semi-final in the Champions League, but disaster awaits for one of them. They are facing each other in Leipzig on Wednesday. It was 3-0 in Lisbon. Is it going to be different this time? Rafa, Jules, what do you think? Well, it could easily be the same result, James. Uh, you saw that uh, Leipzig were a little bit uh, vulnerable, especially on the break against Man United. I think PSG will be uh, quite confident that they can expose them as well. But, of course, Leipzig can, can play a bit. And I think if they're a little bit more proactive and a little bit more courageous than they were against PSG back in, in, in the summer, they have a chance. I think PSG don't like it when you take the ball off them. And uh, Leipzig tried to play on the counter themselves, and I think that didn't that didn't work out. And I was speaking to Marcel Sabitzer, their captain, uh, before the Man United game, and he said that he couldn't sleep uh, the whole night after that defeat, and they were sort of wondering what they could have done differently. I think that would have been one of the the big issues that they just gave PSG too much respect and too much of the ball. So I think we'll see a different uh, different Leipzig side. And one that um, I think can can pose problems for for Paris. How are, how are Paris Saint Germain looking? Jules, Neymar still out, no, and and De Maria is in doubt, and Keane is out as well. He came off at half time after receiving a knock, like a, a bad tackle. So we're not sure if he can if he can play. Neymar, as you said, is still out, and will be out until the the international break. He will, he won't be involved with Brazil either. Uh, Icardi is not ready to come back, and Kylian Mbappe, who also came off with a with a sore uh, thigh, mm-hmm. will have to play. Otherwise, they only have you know kids up front um, to play in that as a centre forward. So it's not ideal because Verratti is still out, because Paredes is still out, because Di Maria, as you said, is a dub. So there's a lot of players missing again for PSG. They will have to do with it anyway, uh, and and hope that they can. Certainly play better than they did for half of the last two games. The first half against Bashakshia was not good enough. The first half against Nantes was not good enough either. In both games, they should have gone behind. 
they were a bit lucky in the end to win both games. So it's not the greatest of times. And overall, there's still the big debate around Thomas Tuchel, around mm. the pressure that is on him and, and what he can do with that team. Rafa, is that, what's the relationship like between Tuchel and, and Julian Nagelsmann? Is there a kind of rivalry between the, the various bright young things of German management? Uh, there is there is a bit of rivalry. I mean, there's certainly not a warm relation. Um, Tuchel gave gave Nagelsmann a big break because he he asked Nagelsmann to start scouting the opposition when he was still at Augsburg and and uh, a player that uh, was very much at the end of his very short lived career th- through injuries. And I think they had a reasonable relationship in the first few years, but then it it seemed to have cooled down quite uh, quite considerably. I don't think there's ever been a falling out. They just don't seem to really be much on the same wavelength and um, after last summer's meeting I think that'd be maybe just the tiniest of reasons why Nagelsmann want want a bigger result but I think he'll also want a result to um, deflect from his poor sartorial choices. All right it would have to be a pretty big scoreline to to do that. What what kind of scoreline do you think we're going to get? Jules how optimistic are you? I go 2-1 PSG. I still think they're going to dug deep and, and do this one. They have to anyway, you know. Jules, I thought you'd stop supporting them after after the last game against Basak Shahir. You misunderstood. That was a half time. <laughs> then by the end of the game, I was back. <laughs> Rafa? I think uh, Leipzig can get a draw. 1-1. One, one. Okay. Exciting. Vasakshi here, meanwhile, will be playing early on Wednesday, hosting Man United, the group leaders. They've um, continued their kind of bounce back in the Turkish Super League. They had a 2-1 win against Konyaspor. They've moved up to seventh now. Uh, you saw uh, them against Paris Saint-Germain, Jules, last week. How much problems do you think they're going to pose Man United? I think it will all depend what you know, what kind of state of mind United are because Vasakshi will be very aggressive like they were against PSG. That's what they do. They, they have... Good creative players like Edin Vizca, who, especially from long range, has a really good shot too. So they, they could be a threat. It's just that if you respond to their, the way they play, then I think, I think you can beat them. And certainly United should beat them. It's all about if we see the same United as the one against Arsenal on Sunday, then I think you can worry that they might not respond well enough to what Bashakshir will offer. So it's a tricky one, even with no fans over there. And I, I think it's really one that you win on your attitude more than on your talent or on your organisation or anything like that. Well, for all their problems, United, after a brilliant start to this Champions League campaign, we'll see early Wednesday if that continues. Also on Wednesday in Group E, Sevilla will be up against Krasnodar. We mentioned that. But Chelsea host Rennes. Jules, Rennes got their first win in six matches uh, this weekend, winning the derby against Brest. They did indeed, James. They won 2-1, two, two goals from their uh, centre-backs, Aguerd and, and Damien Da Silva. It's, it was not perfect and they still have no Kamavinga, which is a, a big loss for them. He's not going to play as well on Wednesday at Stamford Bridge. It's not the same team without him. I think it's just a question of they need a perfect game and they need Chelsea to be a bit in an off day to do something special at Stamford Bridge. I think they know that. Uh, we've seen them. I think they have a lot of passion and motivation and energy for the Champions League but just not good enough just just yet especially against a team like Chelsea so they will need something very special if they want something out of the game mm, against the Chelsea team that's really hit form in the last two or three matches Group F meanwhile which is super tight Lazio and Bruges both on four points 
uh, Borussia Dortmund on three and Zenit on none. Zenit host Lazio this week, who've begun to get some players back from that uh, raft of uh, COVID-19 positives, while Bruges host Dortmund. A Dortmund team who are playing catch-up, who, as we mentioned before, have got De Classica coming up this weekend, who arrived fresh this weekend from a 2-0 win over Rafa. Arminia Bielefeld. Now, we've had a question here from Taxi Bigger Satan. I know. What? Yes, who says, <laughs> Hi, Jimbo. For this week's European podcast, can you ask Rafa to give us an intro and brief history on Arminia Bielefeld? As a sporadic follower of Bundesliga, I've never heard about that team before. Crikey, <laughs> well, Rafa. They are a classic Bundesliga side. They just haven't been in the league itself for for um, most part of the last two decades. But... Famous for their stadium, uh, the Alm, uh, quite an atmospheric ground, and uh, famous for having a very good record against Dortmund as well, who travelled there on Saturday almost uh, you know, with a sense of this is our bogey team, but again, in context of not having played them out much in the, in the last few years. So yeah, um, not the most sort of most glamorous of clubs, in fact, uh, quite the opposite, one of those clubs we call Graue Maus in, Ger- in Germany, uh, Grey Mice. Uh, you know, little clubs that nobody really takes much notice of. Right. But still, fairly historic. And um, hopefully they can stay up this year. I mean, we would say maybe big dogs for the, the top teams. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing. No. In, okay. in, in, in Spain, we have elevator clubs. Those that ah. go down from Yo-yo the second division to the Yo-yo first team. and up and down, yeah. I didn't think Bielefeld existed, Raf. Yeah. You're not alone, James. Um, there is a... <laughs> Um, fairly funny uh, internet conspiracy theory that alleges that uh, Bielefeld is all just uh, a made-up, a fictitious town that does not exist. But um, as we saw from the pictures on Saturday, Dortmund were there and um, uh, lived to right. live to tell the tale. Wow. Make your own minds about that. Uh, anyway. For balance. For yeah. balance, we should also have a yeah. Bielefeld denier on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there you go what about Dorm and Rafa they exist they exist and uh, of course their hopes of existing further in this uh, competition uh, rest on a, on a positive result against Bruges mm. uh, Mats Hummels very unlikely to be there unfortunately he scored two goals against Bielefeld um, which is unlike him as a centre-back but um, he also picked up a hamstring injury mm. and uh, it's a bit dubious whether he can whether he can play which would be a big big blow because he is so important for them uh, both in terms of the aerial uh, power but also the uh, you know the build-up play and the, the leadership the presence mm. so hopefully he can recover in time but I think it's it's looking it's looking doubtful for him Erling Haaland also not in action against Bielefeld because of a, a knee issue but uh, that seemed to have been more as a precaution so he should be back Oh, and one more word. Jude Bellingham had a fantastic game against Bielefeld. Okay. Big games then for Dortmund, back-to-back against Bruges and for Lazio, taking on Zenit home and away. Just one point separating Lazio, Dortmund and Bruges in that group. Very good. That pretty much brings us to the end of today's Totally Football European show. But Alvaro, I think you've got some late-breaking news for us. Yeah, Atletico de Madrid has a month uh, to sign a player after selling Thomas Partey. Uh, because Arsenal paid the release clause of Thomas, and according to the Spanish uh, rules, you still have a month to replace that player that you have lost. And uh, 
they are going to sign Kondogbia uh, very soon, uh, probably within hours uh, from the recording of this podcast. Uh, Kondogbia plays for Valencia. He hasn't trained for 18 days because he he was some sort of in rebellion because he wanted to go to Atletico de Madrid. And, uh, and yeah, um, this is going to be a player that uh, will not be registered for the Champions League, at least for the group stage, but uh, he will be very important for Atletico de Madrid uh, moving forward and in the big picture. Yeah. Hmm. Atletico Madrid that's just off the top of the Liga as it stands, two points behind with a game in hand. Crikey. All right, well, do join us. On the Goals Show, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, for all the goals from Champions League Match Day 3. And, of course, next Tuesday when we return with more fresh continental information for you here on the Totally Football Show. For now, many thanks to Alvaro, to James, Julian and Raphael. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you, James. Thank you. Not at all. And you, listener. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time. Have a great week. Bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.